Welcome to the Give Yourself the Chat podcast. I'm your host, Peter Lewis, and this is the show dedicated to unlocking human potential and living a life of high performance. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to Give Yourself the Chat. I have another fascinating guest with me this afternoon. I have Beth Miller, who is currently in Atlanta, Georgia. But Beth, I understand that you should have been here over in the UK. What, what's, what's going on, if I couldn't guess? <laughs> what's going on is COVID. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah my, my husband and I were supposed to go on a, a cruise uh, with, with some dear friends and um, would have started in Norway and finished up in, in London. Um, unfortunately, that was canceled. So yeah, it's it's had a profound effect on all our lives, um, and and I guess on one level there's the personal disappointment of a, of a lovely trip being cancelled, but then you have to put it in perspective, don't you? You have to. I often come back. I have my health. Right. Everything else can be endured. Um, so I'd be interesting. Let's just jump straight off. This is give yourself the chat podcast after all. How how did you kind of make sense of that? I guess initial disappointment, but then reconciliation with the idea. How, how did you actually? Yeah come to terms with that? Well, it's actually something that um, I talk to leaders about too, um, okay. is that kind of disappointment, right? Um, you know, COVID is something that that none of us have control over. Um, we, we don't know what's going to happen next. Um, so one of the things that I do is, is I practice gratitude every day. I, I am grateful for the small things that, you know, before I probably missed. So that's one of the things that that I, I've done. Um, the other thing is, my mother now lives with us, so okay. we pulled her out of a retirement community, yeah. and um, I'm I'm thinking that it's going to be a while before she gets back there. Yeah. So it's it's nice to spend time with her. We we take uh, walks every day, so that's another thing that I I do that I didn't do on a regular basis. Mm. Um, that's been great as well to yeah. kind of settle your mind in. Yeah, I think it's important to to recognise that. I mean, we talked briefly off air that you know, as long as you have your health, then yeah, you, you you can endure. But this this idea of gratitude, practicing. I'm glad you said that because actually that's that's something that I I focus on, and I've been aware of the sort of gratitude effect or the attitude of gratitude. But it's not until recently that I've really started to meditate and practice that with with intention mm -hmm. and and it is it starts off with that simple i'm grateful for waking up this morning yeah because there's many people that don't have that opportunity and it's amazing how something so simple can literally get you off on the right footing for the day there's a uh, lot of research around gratitude uh and as well as as uh, meditation and mindfulness that is really helpful I, I praise you for for doing it on a regular basis. Uh, I do it, but but not enough. Well, I, like like all of us, we 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 you know we, we we try our best, don't we? And I think that's something that we need to realize that there's you know, none of us are enlightened. We're so far south of enlightenment is unreal. But actually, I think it's the it's the awareness around some of these practices and. Yeah. And on, on an intellectual level, it sounds surely that's, that's just too simplistic a view. But, but actually, I think it just grounds you in the present. And, and it does provide that contrast when you think, well, actually, do you know what? I can endure this because there's people that are, are in far worse situations than, than me. Right. Um, and it's interesting for, for, from a leadership point of view that 
how that's coming. You say, you know, the, the mindfulness and gratitude and all those other things, there's a lot of research in it, but, but it's coming into leadership far more, I think. And, and particularly, we're going to talk about leadership through COVID a little bit later in this episode. But I, I just want to give the listener a bit of a background, and then you can perhaps fill in some of the blanks. So you started off uh, creating a tech consultancy practice, I believe, with your husband. How many years ago was that now? That was, uh... that was back in um, the mid-90s. Um, I do have a career before then. But <laughs> we can go back that far if you want. You can, you can mention that if you want. I mean, one, starting a, 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 a business with uh, with your life partner, that now that's interesting in, in itself and probably taught you some lessons. It did. Um, you then um, you then sold that um, by your own admission. Got a bit bored and would like to perhaps pull that thread, and then got involved with an organisation called Vistage. It, and my understanding of Vistage is it's a sort of helps um, MD CEOs, um, and it's sort of like a, a mastermind, personal development coaching yeah. type of thing. And that's led on to you forming your company, um, Executive Velocity. And I know you're involved in coaching, training and assessment and hiring of, of talent. So, wow, there's a lot there, but let's, let's, let's go back to that piece around boredom. Now, <laughs> I, I love the fact that you admitted, I, I, I get bored and I wonder what that, how that manifests for you and, and, and how that kind of shows up in your professional life. Uh, well, it, it shows up by, by me trying to fill the, the time. Yeah. Um, and, and boredom to me is, is not just about filling time because I could fill time in a lot of different ways. Sure. It's it's about filling time that's going to enrich me intellectually, mm. and that's I'm a lifelong learner. Yeah. So Vistage, for instance, was a draw for me because I was constantly learning, not just from the business owners that I coached and um, facilitated the the monthly meetings but they had wonderful speakers that would, would come in on a, a monthly basis. So that, that fed me, fed my, my learning and, uh, and knowledge aspect that, yeah. that I'm motivated by. Uh, so board, that was boredom. I, I tried some volunteer work. Uh, I still do volunteer work, but it wasn't enough. <laughs> and, and that's, that's how I, I found Vistage, which was back in uh, 2005. Okay. But I left, I left Vistage uh, last year. Okay, thank you. So that's a great experience there. Tell me about, um, so you, you formed the tech consultancy practice, but then sold it. Was, was that always your plan to exit the business? Uh, yes. Yeah, I don't, I, that wasn't, it, it was, we were kind of accidental entrepreneurs at the time. My husband had moved uh, to Atlanta to, um, to marry me. <laughs> I, I wasn't going to move back up north, which is where I'm originally from. And he he couldn't find a job at the time. So yeah. he started an accounting temporary services firm. And then he got convinced me to join him and start a technology side of the business. So yeah. that's that's kind of how it, it happened. It all happened. So yeah. accidental entrepreneurs then. So uh, it's that, is that with, with your work with Vistage, is that a pattern that you, you see amongst entrepreneurialism, do you think? I have had a number of, of business owners that that happened to. Uh, one of them, he, he was working for a company and uh, the guy, there was something going on with, with some shady financial things. And so he ended up buying the business 
from this for for pittance. I mean, it was it was almost given to him. Yeah. And so that was kind of an accidental entrepreneur. Uh, there was another one who he started growing a consulting practice. You know, it was it was him, and then all of a sudden it was three people, four people, and you know, he he ended up selling his business to a larger company. Mm. Um, and kind of getting back to where he really needed to be, which yeah. which is where he was from, the the larger larger company. It, it's interesting, isn't it? This because I, I, I dare say the accidental entrepreneur probably speaks to a time before entrepreneurism was mainstream, really quite trendy. If you think about it now, so a lot of kids. My daughter is about to go to university; she's eighteen, and she wants to be an entrepreneur. Whereas that word didn't even feature in my vocabulary when I was growing up or emerging into professional life. Isn't it, isn't it interesting yeah, how it's exactly. now a very deliberate thing? Yeah. Entrepreneur. Actually, when I, when I went to college, um, the school I went to was Babson college up in the Northeast and they, they're actually known for entrepreneurship. They, they actually had classes in entrepreneurship back in the eighties. And um, I, I've never heard of entrepreneurship until I went to the school. It's like, yeah. what's that? Yeah. yeah. Now it's it's a common term. But I think it's a common term because it's it's I think it's a lot to do with where we are as a society, particularly around technology and how technology enables routes to market and there's very few barriers now. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. really the barrier now is how do you get heard? How do you get identified and stand out? So I, I do think it's encouraged that. It's interesting. I would class myself as an accidental entrepreneur. I, I joined the army when I was 16 back in 1987, did 20 years service. Very structured, very regimented, of course. Um, and then I left 12 years ago and started my own business. And this entrepreneur burst out. And, but I can always see, I can see the, the hallmarks of it. It was that maverick. It was that one that didn't quite want to follow the rules. And there's that element of that, which I absolutely love but it's not easy. And, and I guess a lot of the people that you have coached and continue to coach, part of the challenge there around them weighing or feeling the weight of responsibility of the company they formed and is growing at pace, that's something that needs to be addressed. And I know that's kind of one of your interest areas. So I'd be interested to explore that side of entrepreneurism and leadership and the weight of responsibility. Yeah, um, and especially now. Mm. With challenges around COVID, you know, I uh, I have conversations with leaders daily, and there's a lot of pressure there. You know, they they've you know got their company, they you know started it up from scratch. Most of them, they've built it. Now, some of them are doing really well based on the industry that they're in, but others are struggling. Mm. And it's it really is a, a challenge for uh, their mental capabilities, emotional capabilities. They have really nobody to talk to. Mm. They, you know, they. One of the things I I encourage them to do is practice vulnerability with with their employees because they they need to be transparent. They but they need to be transparent in a way that isn't scaring people obviously that that it's it's more the conversation of hey here's what i know yeah here's what i'm doing and here are the things that i don't know 
Mm. And here's my plan B and C Mm. based on that. The other thing is I encourage them to engage their employees in helping them. That's why they've got their employees. They're, They're not there to be solving all of their employees' problems. So, you know, having those open conversations around how to be resilient, how to, how to be agile and, and make changes based on the changes that are taking place externally that you have no control over. Those that's, are really important. That's, uh, there's several things I want to unpack with you there. There's this tension between being vulnerable and scaring your team. <laughs> it's that because people look to the leader historically and presently for guidance, assurance, and confidence. Yeah. So how you, but being vulnerable isn't, and that, that's why I think a lot of leaders are reluctant to be vulnerable because they see it automatically as a position of weakness. Right. Actually, exactly. I think you need to look at vulnerability. And this, this is not the first podcast episode I've had around this subject. And it's, it's really good that we're talking about this. I think it's one of the most courageous positions a leader can take. That's the word I use too, is courage. It takes courage to be vulnerable. Yeah. Absolutely. So to, let's pull this thread a bit. So from, from your perspective, how, how do we get leaders to get the joke? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, some of them, I think, are because of their emotional intelligence. Mm. They are able to be vulnerable in an effective way. And, and that is, um, there's a lot of empathy around vulnerability mm. that you know, you're, you are, are being vulnerable to make somebody else feel better. Yeah. That's, that's, you know, it's, there's a lot of fear and angst right now, especially here in the States. You know, we've yeah. got, we've got an uptick. Um, I'm in a, a state that um, is experiencing that an uptick in, in the cases and, you know, people had started coming, going back to work. Now it's, well, should I be going back to work? Yeah. Um, right. So, you know, how, how do you have that conversation with your team or just an individual in, in a way that's going to make them feel comfortable? Well, you first have to kind of share how you're feeling first. Yeah. You've got to model that behavior. You, otherwise, you're not. You, you can't expect somebody else to to open up. <laughs> no, and, and it's and it's interesting. It's so obvious when we talk about it because if we just think of ourselves as just Beth and Peter or just people meeting, it's that: Do I feel feel safe in your company, or do I feel that you're a threat? And we know this in our social engagements mm-hmm. and our partnerships, but when it comes to leadership. Why wouldn't the same rules apply? And of course they do. And I think there's a lot of current authors are talking about vulnerability. They're talking about how to open up, how to create psychological safety. Yep, that's the latest latest term. Yeah, psychological safety. And, yep. and, and, and the thing is with these terms is we can talk about it, but it all comes down to actions and modeling the way and going first and demonstrating it. Right, exactly. And so... You, you talk about emotional intelligence, and I think emotional intelligence is just taking it well beyond the intellectual understanding mm-hmm. and actually the practical um, application there. Um, 
And you, you also touched upon uh, sort of resilience there. So I, I'd like to explore with you really this, this idea of you know, leadership through COVID. And we talked off air about leaders taking care of themselves. Mm-hmm. I'd like to expand upon your thoughts around that, please, because I, I totally agree with you, but I'd, I'd like to explore the different ways that we can look at that. Leaders, mm-hmm. almost leaders going first in a sort of paradoxical way. Right. And it's, um, it's not about being selfish. It's, it's about, and that's oftentimes what, what people interpret that as, is that yeah. well, if you're taking care of yourself, that's, that's pretty selfish. Yeah. But as we said and uh, chatted offline, the, the idea of somebody sick trying to take care of uh, somebody who is healthy is that person is not going to get healthy by doing that. Mm. So it, it, it plays to also the, that emotional aspect that we're dealing with right now. The, the aspect that a leader, a business owner, has a lot that they're dealing with emotionally, not just from a business perspective. We're all dealing with things personally as well that, mm. that employees don't see. And you've, you've got to be able to, as I like to say, put your, your oxygen mask on first and then help the person next to you, right? So what are those things that you can do? Well, a, a lot of the things that I talk about uh, with leaders are things like practicing gratitude, mm. having that, that daily practice of being thankful for just the small things that are things that you've taken for granted. But in this world of, of COVID, you know, it's, it's really, really important to be grateful, especially if you're healthy, uh, that, you know, it could be a whole lot worse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, the other things that I, I talk to them about are um, just breathing, practicing some, some good breathing exercises that you can do that you don't have to stop your, what you're doing. You're just being conscious of how you're, you're breathing and taking the deep breaths versus the shallow breaths. Mm. Uh, exercise obviously is, is something that's important for, for many of us, we can't get to the gym. So, you know, what can you do inside? Um, you know, are you able to go out and, and walk? Those are, are things that are important. It's, it's also just, just getting outside yeah. and breaking up the routine of, you know, being on a Zoom, a Zoom call uh, yeah. hour after hour. Uh, we've heard the, the term Zoom fatigue. Yeah, absolutely. And we, we all feel that. And I think it's, uh, you know, life used to be a series of transitions. You transition from a meeting and physically walk to the next one or you'd go grab lunch. Those transitions now, they still exist, but you, ha- they, you have to carve that transition period out, either just to walk away from the screen, take some deep breaths, connect with somebody else, the family, if you're working from home, of course. So mm-hmm. I think those things are lost, and therefore the, the pressure of COVID on our working practices is far more intense. And those, even those interstitial conversations you'd have with coworkers that would happen automatically now have to be scheduled. Right. So exactly. everything, everything, there is no spare time there. So I think leaders have to be 
cognizant of that for their own health, but equally the health of the people that they're leading and encourage people to do that. Now, you can do that many ways. You can schedule a 45-minute meeting instead of a 60-minute, so you've got automatically 15 minutes spare, right. for instance. But you have to consciously think of these small things. And I think leaders that get that will have a greater effect and service their people. But those who are just constantly, no, I've got to get the, the orders out the door, I've got to get the revenue coming in, that you're focused on management more than, than leadership, which is the art of enabling people, I think. Right, exactly. Um, yeah. Now, I know that um, um, you're, you're, uh, you have an a, a obsession. Well, I don't know. Are You Talent Obsessed is, is, a, is a title that sort of, of one of your books that uh, you, you've published. And I know you're very much uh, into sort of the assessment and hiring of great people. Let's talk about being obsessed about talent. What, so in answer to the question, are you talent obsessed? What, what, are, you, what are you driving at there? I'm driving at... Uh, the fact that you, first of all, you need to, to be focused on getting those, the right people on the bus um, at, the, at the right time and um, in the right seat and doing the right things. So it is, it, it's really about talent management mm. and understanding the importance of the human capital within your organization. Yeah. So, being talent obsessed is really about focusing on the people first and then the results. Because yeah. the re if, if you take care of your people, the results will come. So that's interesting. So the, 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 the bus metaphor, is that Jim Collins? Yeah, it was Jim Collins. Good to great. Yeah. yeah love I, him. I, think he just, I think his was just um, on the bus in the right seat. And then people have added to yeah. that. Yeah, that, that, that bus metaphor is now, but, but it's a useful one. And the one thing I've always been struck with with that is the advocating getting the right team in place and then determine the destination and all the other sort of objectives because without the right team in place. So if you've got the right team in place, it doesn't matter what objective you set yourself, the chances are you increase your chance of success if you've got good people. Right. If you've determined on we're going in this direction, right, let's just – hire in quickly to get technical expertise, right. it's, the wheels are going to come off. <laughs> right, exactly. And it's, and, you know, from a hiring perspective, the, the thing that I see um, as a, a big problem with, with companies, especially smaller companies, is that um, they have no consistent process in hiring. Mm. They, you know, they don't use any kind of assessment, hiring assessment. Um, the, the interviews are, are inconsistent so that when, when you're trying to uh, make a decision between several candidates, you don't have apples and apples information mm. to make a decision. They're very focused on what's on the resume versus what, what did they, how did they do those things? Not what, what was accomplished, but how did they get, get success? What yeah. were the behaviors that they had? Mm. And that, that then leads to the fact that most small businesses don't understand their core competencies and their uh, leadership competencies so that they're not measuring uh, candidates based on, on competencies. They're, they're measuring them based on skills. And, okay. and, yeah, that, and what, that what can cause a, a mistake. Yeah. yeah. So 
So having a clear idea of what the company stands for, I'm guessing values come into this as well, as well as values, the values drive the competency. So, you know, it, companies will, will have their values, then they need to figure out what are the behaviors that support those values. Mm. And those behaviors will often come um, and be distinguished as core competencies. Mm. So in your experience, I mean, I have limited experience of of hiring, I I must admit, but I've got a lot of experience of working in organizations. And generally speaking, companies don't get this right. They get it wrong more often than they get it right. Is there something else at play here apart from a sort of competency framework and, and, and everything else like this? Is there something else going on that companies just aren't getting? I don't. I think from a from a company standpoint, it's being really clear on on the those competencies and um, the culture of mm-hmm. in that cultural fit. I think from a, a individual leadership perspective, it's about the fact that many leaders have never been taught how to interview. Yeah, they're you know they're they're given a, a resume or resumes. And they're told, okay, here's, here are three candidates. Go off and figure out whether or not you want to hire one of them. Yeah. yeah. There's, there's, no, there's no training there. And if you think about the fact that you're making a, a, a decision that is a, oftentimes over $100,000 decision and you're not trained on how to make that decision. Yeah, it, it's incredible, isn't it? But if you broaden that out and talk about leadership in the round, how many times do we get that described as the Peter principle that you rise to the level of your own incompetence and companies promote leaders and say, well, you know, promote technically competent people and say, right now lead five other technically competent people and just throw into it. We think that's, you know, what got you here won't get you there. I mean, it, it's right. incredible how much we, we take. So those five people represent a human cost. They represent a capital fiscal cost as well. Now we're saying, go manage that, but without any training. And we fall into the same trap all the time. And it happens in hiring and it happens in, in how we ascend this leadership ladder. It's just, and that's, for me, leaders just need to understand it. Back to your point, it's about the human capital. It's about investing in them. Um, And for me, leadership is as much about creating the next wave of leaders and being, doing your part to pass it on than, than anything else, really. That's a lifetimes. That's, that's generally the, the definition I use for leadership is leader, leadership is about developing other leaders. And um, I'm actually writing a book on succession planning, which plays into this, this a lot. And the fact that um, you, you need to understand your, your competencies within an organization, as well as leadership competencies. And that will help you to define who the high potentials are in your organization mm. that have the potential to, to rise into a leadership position. I see so many times, in fact, I oftentimes get called into companies where they have 
given a promotion to a technical expert to supervise, manage a, a team. And they did it because the person was a high performer. They were really good at what they did. They're, they were excellent in their craft. The problem is, is that high performance does not equate to high potential. No. In fact, there's, there's research that says only one out of seven high performers have high potential. Mm. And the other thing is, is that there are, are individuals that uh, may not be high performers, but good performers that may have a higher potential for leadership capacity. Yeah. And you're missing out on those individuals if you're focused on just the high performers. It's yeah, but but it's very seductive, isn't it, to see yeah. the high performers and it's like that's the shiny object in front of right. us. Therefore, that's the one to put in because it comes back down to time and it comes back down. There's the immediate need, or just human beings being lazy. You know, they're lazy in the hiring process. That whole confirmation bias, all these other things that play into it. We've got to be on our guard because the problem shows up further down the road. And it's not just for you as a leader, it's, it's for the company, it's for the individual as well. Um, That's why I am um, really passionate about succession planning. Yeah. And how succession planning, uh, there's a lot of confusion around succession planning. When I say succession planning to a business owner, they immediately think it's, about me, my, my plan, um, who's going to succeed me mm. and succession planning is, is organizational, organizationally wide, and it should be a integral part of your business plan. So it should be an ongoing process. The other confusion I, I see, um, when I say succession planning is people think it's exit planning. Well, exit planning has a certain Define time. It's usually you know three to five years. Somebody has has made a decision that uh, they want you know, to either sell the business or retire and and you know sell their their portion to um, to employees. Uh, succession planning is ongoing. Yeah, it's not it's not a defined period of time. Every year you should be looking at those key positions that you have. And who are the people that can take that role should somebody get hit by the proverbial bus, mm. right? Or, or, okay, you know somebody's going to be retiring in three years. Who are, the, who are the, the individuals that you've identified as high potentials that you're developing so that one of them is going to be able to be prepared at the right time mm. to take that position? It's interesting that, that that bus metaphor is so useful, <laughs> but, um, yeah. but but equally there is the challenge around leader. What I've often found, uh, and particularly in the military, it was really prevalent. You start, you go into a new role, you get promoted, you get into a new role, and on day one, your career advisor is talking about your next role in two or three years' time, and so leaders become fixated on their next role and their succession planning and you know, at, at the expense of really learning and enjoying the role right now, but equally enabling others to, 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 to get on their way as well. So there is that whole, 
you've almost got to suspend your, um, I'm really glad you said succession planning is about the organization rather than the individual, because I think so many people are focused on the individual and there lies many, many of the problems. Um, let's, um, I'd like to explore, because you, you've got decades worth of, of business experience there. And what I like to do on this podcast is to give leaders some sort of practical ideas and tips, and they will have picked up loads during the course of our last half hour's chat. But if you were to advise your, your younger self or advise somebody that com- was coming into business around the things that you've learned along the way, what kind of things would you be minded to, to sort of mentor them around or, or advise them on? Oh, wow. That is, that's yeah, such a, a big one. It's <laughs> a long, it's a big one. Yeah. Yeah. So I, you know, I think thinking back 30 plus years, and one of one of the biggest mistakes I made, and this was when we had our company, was we had we had a high potential, and and we knew it. Um, we though didn't didn't look and treat her as special. We gave her some some great um, financial rewards. And, but we didn't give her the emotional rewards. Ah, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that was a huge, and I didn't really, you know, she, she ended up leaving um, pretty abruptly and it was a huge shock for us. And I didn't really understand for a couple of years what had happened until I started doing some, some reading around um, employee recognition and engagement and all of all of the the, the soft talent management uh, terms that I've learned over the past twenty plus years yeah. since I started working working with Vistage uh, and the and the other thing is that as business owners we didn't have anybody to talk to we didn't have a coach uh, we didn't have a Vistage group. I did, I was a member of, of YEO, um, Entrepreneurs Organization back then, uh, but only for a short period of time. Um, mm-hmm. It was, the, the group dynamics just weren't working for me, but I understood the value of a peer group and, and being able to, to get advice. That's something I would also recommend to, to up and coming leaders is to find a group that can give you advice that's um, non-biased and they'll speak the truth. I think that's really important, especially for for entrepreneurs coming up. Um, There's all sorts of options out there for for that kind of peer group. Uh, I think that, that from a standpoint of looking back lessons learned are the most valuable. Hmm. It's those failures that you can really learn from. They're painful at the time. Yeah. But they're, they're very valuable. Well, I think, I think the visceral nature of failure is that that's what hardwires it to, you know, take the lesson from that. It's, you know, I often say to my leadership groups and programs, you know, leadership is really easy when things are going well. Yes. But to, back to one of the themes of our discussion today, that sort of leadership through COVID 
actually what a what a time to sort of be alive in leadership to learn how to actually do your craft because you know i'm looking over to my bookcase now i've got tons of books on leadership and but it's only really getting in and involved yes. and doing that you you learn that and unfortunately leadership is one of those things that you have to learn through experience and 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 often the experience of others or just having the opportunity to talk about it in either mastermind groups or accountability partners or with a coach mm-hmm. i think when leaders really understand the power of that because you know it can be really quite a lonely a lonely path that you you tread but i love the fact that you are focusing now on it's funny, this whole idea about leadership and going first. I've got auction mask written down here, but I'd written it down before we started talking because I often use that metaphor of put your mask on first so you can be more resilient and you can be of service because if what is leadership if it's not about service to others? But you have to start with yourself first. Right, exactly. And I think the thing, getting back to the, the peer groups, uh, coaches, et cetera, it's really about getting feedback and and that's something that leaders i notice over the years don't do enough of as it relates to their employees they're good at giving feedback mm-hmm. but not so good at at getting it and the ones that that ask for feedback from from others and then do something with it take action are um they're the ones that are going to grow and and develop and be more effective as a leader. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Beth, it's been absolutely wonderful uh, talking to you. Um, it would have been lovely to talk to you whilst you're here over in, in England, but that will be for another time. Hey, exactly. if, if leaders are listening to this and they want to kind of find out a little bit more about uh, the work that you're doing and, and how to get in touch, what's the best way of doing that? Yeah, so the, there's two ways. One is um, to go to my website, which is executive dash velocity.com and you can contact me through that um, the other is through linkedin i am found on linkedin by beth arm connect miller and i'll spell that it's a-r-m-k-n-e-c-h-t there's only one of me out there mm-hmm. um, on my website i have a lot of free resources so just go to the resource page and i have resources on um, hiring, leadership development, and succession planning. So all, all pro bono, complimentary. Fantastic. Well, thank you for, for, for putting it out there. Thanks for um, for coming on on uh, on this episode. It's been absolutely fascinating. So many things that we could explore. But uh, for the time being, Beth, look after yourself and thank you so much for being on Give Yourself the Chat. Well, thank you, Peter. There was a lot we covered on that episode there. Everything from mindfulness, resilience, gratitude effect, entrepreneurialism, leadership, and hiring the right talent. And uh, a useful bus metaphor chucked in there for good measure. I hope you enjoyed that chat with Beth. I, I certainly enjoyed her insight there. And also exploring some of the common themes that are coming up on this show around the simple practical things that you as a leader can do but equally as a team member as well to get the most out of your own performance so uh, again uh, thank you so much for listening if you'd like to connect with me then hop on over to my website peterlewiscoaching.com drop me a line let me know which subjects you'd like me to explore and which guests you'd like me to have on 
But in the meantime, I thank you so much for your, your listening and your engagement with this show. And I look forward to seeing you on the next one.